18-year-old Bronny James, the son of basketball great LeBron James, was rushed to a Los Angeles hospital after suffering cardiac arrest while practicing at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. This happened on Monday. He is reportedly out of the ICU. That didn't stop Elon Musk on Tuesday from tweeting that the 18-year-old's heart condition may have been caused by the COVID vaccine. Isn't that great that Elon Musk would opine on the health condition of somebody he doesn't know? Musk took to Twitter and linked the COVID vaccine to myocarditis, prompting Congressman Ted Lieu to tweet, Dear Elon Musk, you have access to vast resources Please consult some. You don't know if Mr. James even has myocarditis. More importantly, the American Heart Association has stated COVID-19 infection poses higher risk for myocarditis than vaccines. X. 325,000 Teamsters driving for UPS were scheduled to go on strike August 1st, but it now looks like a tentative agreement has been Reach. The Teamsters will continue to work throughout August as the rank and file reviews the new contract and votes on whether or not to accept it. Voting begins August 3rd, ends on the 22nd. Ron DeSantis and his motorcade were in a traffic accident early Tuesday morning on their way to a campaign event in Chattanooga, Tennessee. The car in front of DeSantis reportedly stopped suddenly, and DeSantis's car plowed right into it. Always nice to see the most homophobic governor in America rear-ending somebody. By the way, nobody was injured. Actor Johnny Depp was reportedly found unconscious in a Budapest hotel, forcing his band, The Hollywood Vampires, to cancel their performance in that country. There are reports that a member of the band attributed Depp's health condition to excessive alcohol consumption. Johnny Depp likes to drink. Hmm, I didn't know that. Climate activist Greta Thunberg was arrested on Monday protesting an oil terminal in the southern city of Malmo, Sweden. Earlier that day, Thunberg was fined by a Swedish court for disobeying police orders last month at an identical protest in front of the same oil terminal. Nice to see someone in Sweden doing something besides burning a Koran. That seems to be the big thing now in the Scandinavian countries, burning Korans. Burning Korans, that can't be good for the environment. Meanwhile, right-wing activists in Denmark, who call themselves the Danish Patriots, staged a Koran burning outside of the Iraqi embassy in Copenhagen, because what could be more important? What else to people in Denmark have to worry about. That prompted 1,000 Iraqis to surround the Danish embassy in Baghdad, the Danish patriots staging a Koran burning in Copenhagen. What better way to show your love of country than setting fire to somebody's holy book? Good on you. Good on you. The Washington Post is reporting that during last month's coup staged by the Wagner Group, in which a private army of mercenaries seized Russian military buildings and almost marched on Moscow. During that coup, Vladimir Putin was reportedly paralyzed by fear and indecision. According to reporting in the Washington Post, Putin, who is now 70, was unable to make any decisions 
for hours, leaving his military confused and frightened. Here in the United States, The Intercept is reporting that the United States Border Patrol in Arizona is placing as many as 50 migrants in cages outside, leaving them to swelter in triple-digit temperatures. Arizona heat reached record highs in the past week. It got up to 115 degrees Fahrenheit in some spots. The Biden administration warned Texas Governor Greg Abbott to stop lining the Rio Grande with barbed wire buoys, which the Justice Department warns is a health hazard, leaving children and pregnant mothers bloodied and susceptible to drowning. Texas Governor Greg Abbott responded to the warning from the Biden Justice Department by saying, I'll see you in court. Well, on Monday, the Biden Justice Department responded. They're taking Greg Abbott to court in an attempt to get those buoys removed, calling them inhumane. But of course, isn't that the entire point of the buoys, to be inhumane? As we reported last week, local Texas Border Patrol officers, these are not federal uh, patrol border officers, these are Texas Border Patrol officers working for Greg Abbott. There are reports now that the state of Texas has ordered their Border Patrol officers to throw children and nursing mothers into the Rio Grande and order them to swim back to Mexico. Texas Border Patrol officers were also ordered to deny nursing mothers, migrants, children, order to deny them drinking water in triple-digit heat. President Lula da Silva of Brazil. He's the far-right leader who took office back in January following an attempted coup by supporters of Bolsonaro, who lost his re-election bid. Imagine that, a right-wing president like Bolsonaro losing re-election and his uh, supporters storming the Capitol. Glad nothing like that ever happened here in America. Well, President Lula is reversing Bolsonaro's attempts to arm fill the nation of Brazil with armed citizens. Our National Rifle Association was working with Bolsonaro down in Brazil to loosen gun laws and get as many handguns into the the population. In 2019 alone, one million guns were sold to Brazilians. Well, now President Lula is reversing this conspiracy to arm the populace. Lula has issued a decree limiting the number of guns that can be owned by one citizen. Well, where am I? We're going to cut through some of that and go to this story. Congratulations, congratulations to our idiot friends down in Florida. There are reports that water temperatures in the Florida Keys topped 101 degrees Fahrenheit on Monday. Time for a fishing vacation to the Keys because the marlin comes already cooked. This is a record. Take that, Persian Gulf. Water in Florida is now the hottest anywhere on the planet, beating out the previous record in Kuwait. Florida water now is hotter than Kuwait. And Kuwait, they never reached triple digits like we did on Monday down in Florida. To give you a perspective, a typical hot tub 
is on the low end 100 degrees. It can go as high as 104, but, you know, 101 degrees is a comfortable uh, hot tub. And that's what the Florida Keys are right now. A hot tub. Swimmers describe the water as feeling warm and syrupy. Wow. Good job. Good job, Florida. Here's the good news, though, about uh, warming oceans. This is uh, the good news. The warmer the ocean gets down in Florida, the the warmer the oceans get, uh, the less intense the hurricanes become. Actually, the opposite is true. Uh, the hotter the ocean, the more frequent and more intense the hurricanes. But since we're all going to be dead in six months, why not just lie and tell everyone things are going to be just fine? Things are going to be fine. Nothing to worry about, kids. Nothing to worry about. Two years ago, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill sponsored by the fossil fuel industry forbidding cities and counties in Florida from ordering utility companies to abandon oil and gas in favor of renewable energy. Thanks to Ron DeSantis in Florida is against the law for a city to get off fossil fuels. Meanwhile, thanks to intensifying hurricanes, homeowner insurance in Florida is the most expensive in America, with many customers saying it's next to impossible to get any. The average homeowner insurance in America is about $1,700 a year. In Florida, thanks to Ron DeSantis and climate change, if you're lucky, homeowner's insurance is about $7,000, a record to run on. Governor Ron DeSantis. Meanwhile, the Florida governor's presidential campaign seems to have stalled. DeSantis raised $20 million from large donors in the second quarter of this year, but he appears to have blown through half of it and has been forced to fire 38 of his 90 full-time staffers. By the way, no other Republican candidate had as many full-time staffers. As Ron DeSantis, he's had a fire about half of them this week and uh, 90 full-time staffers. And as you can see, DeSantis really knows how to bring out the best with his leadership style. Another problem for DeSantis is it's not a grassroots campaign. His donors are wealthy and they've all maxed out what they can give. They can't give anymore which means as we enter the third quarter, Ron DeSantis has to find new wealthy donors, but it's doubtful they will materialize as DeSantis continues to crater in the polls. You know, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but looks like Americans don't want to vote for an unlikable fascist who has destroyed the state he governed and plans to do the same for the rest of America. You would think it would be the other way around. You would think Americans would say, hey, this guy Ron DeSantis has nothing but contempt for ordinary Americans. He's a bully. He's arrogant, incompetent. He's destroyed Florida's economy, the schools. He shit the bed on COVID. And even though he's a fascist, Florida has one of the highest crime rates in the country. He's a complete failure because he spends most of his time sucking up to the gas and oil lobbyists while persecuting black people and members of the LGBTQ community. This is the blueprint for change my country so desperately needs. Why aren't people voting for him? Well, 
When Rand DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, isn't terrorizing members of the LGBTQ community, he's making it impossible for African-Americans to vote. And he's insisting that critical race not be taught in Florida schools. He also insists that African-American studies isn't a real thing. As I mentioned on yesterday's show, that's one of seven moves from the authoritarian playbook. Ron DeSantis is a dyed-in-the-wool fascist. He is working off the authoritarian playbook, which we talked about on yesterday's show. One of the moves in the authoritarian playbook is marginalize vulnerable communities. When you go back to Mussolini, Hitler, Franco, all the way up right now to present-day Turkey, Poland, Russia, Hungary, and Brazil until Lula took over in January. If you look at all these fascist authoritarian regimes, one of the standard moves is to marginalize vulnerable communities, to use them first as scapegoats for your failed policies. That, that's the first thing you do. Fascists are failures. They need scapegoats. So they blame marginalized communities for the immiseration of the entire populace. You, you can't blame your own policies that cater solely to the rich and powerful, which leaves the entire country wanting. You can't say, hey, you know, I'm giving all the government largesse to the rich and powerful. That's why you're broke and suffering. You need to find a scapegoat. You need to find the marginalized, the blacks, the Arabs, the Hispanics, the Jews, the Sikhs, the LGBTQ community. And that's exactly what fascist Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida. He's marginalizing vulnerable communities, right? And because he's really unpopular, because fascists always are unpopular, you have to marginalize vulnerable communities so they're too afraid to speak out and most importantly, vote, Vote. You want to scare marginalized communities from turning out the vote. Fascists like DeSantis or Trump or Hitler are unlikable. Hitler, believe it or not, was not popular. He won his elections with a plurality of votes. OK, he couldn't muster a majority in in uh, in, in the Reichstag. So he had to resort to illegal means to take power. He won his elections with a plurality of the votes because the majority knew, I'm talking about Hitler, they knew he was dangerous and wrong. The same way Trump lost, lost both elections, at least when it came to the popular vote. America knew Trump was an idiot. DeSantis... Well, you know, he was reelected last year by a large margin, but that's deceptive because he succeeded before that election in marginalizing the black community. He scrubbed the voter rolls in Florida. He created election police in Florida to intimidate. Uh, they made false arrests of African-Americans for trying to vote even though they were legally permitted to vote. Have you ever been arrested? If you've ever been arrested, you're not going to risk another arrest by, uh, by voting, if, if it means having to spend a couple of days in jail. 
We all know that the vast preponderance of former prisoners in Florida are people of color. And Florida, a couple of years ago, the good people of Florida, there are good people in Florida, they just can't vote. The good people of Florida voted to restore voting rights for ex-prisoners. And so the Republicans, Ron DeSantis, realized if ex-prisoners can vote, there's no way I'm getting reelected. So the Republicans in the state legislature, they reversed the will of the people because that's what fascists do. And they attached financial requirements in order for ex-prisoners to get their vote back. Fines had to be paid. If you owed the prison any money, you couldn't vote. And that chills voter turnout. It marginalizes voter communities, uh, vulnerable, it marginalizes vulnerable communities, especially people of color in Florida. So it guaranteed that Ron DeSantis, who is disliked in Florida, it guaranteed that he was going to win big in November of last year because he made it next to impossible for the people who know he's a tyrant to vote against him. That's how unpopular fascists win at the ballot box. And they know that's the only way they can win. It doesn't matter if you're a fascist, if you're an authoritarian. We saw it with January 6th and Donald Trump. It doesn't matter how you win, just so long as you win. And one of the ways, one of the ways DeSantis is tormenting African-Americans is through his hand-picked State Board of Education, which mandated this month that when teaching Florida children about slavery, I, I'm sure you've all read about this, and I wish I were making this up. When teaching children about slavery in Florida, it is imperative to teach that slavery wasn't all bad. In Florida, teachers must now tell children that while slavery had its downside, it also had its upside. Black people also benefited by learning new skills like farming, sewing, and construction, which, as we all know, those slaves couldn't have possibly learned if they were left in Africa, because we all know that Africans don't know how to farm, make clothes, or build. If Europeans didn't stack them like lumber on boats, literally stack them like lumber on boats, uh, one third of them died on the Middle Passage when they arrived in America. They were sold at auction. Mothers were separated from their babies. Fathers were separated from their babies. They were whipped, raped, and killed. And if Europeans, if American slaveholders had ignored the Africans and never shipped them to America, we all know then that nobody in Africa would have ever learned how to grow crops, sew clothes, or build housing. Thank you, slave trade. Hey, you know what they say, no pain, no gain, right? They are literally, what is going on in Florida, they are literally justifying slavery. They are literally saying, yeah, it had its downsides, you know, but it's kind of like a summer internship at Goldman Sachs. You don't get paid. We make you work incredibly long hours. And it's a little abusive. You're going to get yelled at, sexually harassed. But if you can survive this, 
you can work anywhere. You survive Goldman Sachs or slavery. There are skills that will stick with you for the rest of your life. That's what slavery was. Tough love. I know you hate it now, but trust me, somewhere down the line, you'll thank me. They believe this, by the way. They have to believe it because they're demented sociopaths who have to justify their whatever station they have left in the world. I just spat. Uh, I hate saying uh, saliva on the microphone. Anyway, I'm talking about this new Florida teaching standard that insists that kids have to be taught that African-Americans received a personal benefit from slavery. Here is Ron DeSantis on the campaign trail, surrounded, as you can see, by a lot of black people. Uh, Oh, I thought this was a negative. No, these are all white people. Here is Ron DeSantis singing the praises of slavery. Um, but I think um, I think what they're doing is I think that they're probably going to show um, some of the folks that eventually parlayed, uh, you know, being a blacksmith into into doing things later later in life. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, the slaveholders were so generous. It, it it was a vocational college. A plantation basically was a vocational college. And, you know, why aren't the slaveholders getting reparations? Why aren't the slaveholders getting some uh, thank you money for imparting all these special skills? Where's the thank you note from the NAACP? Why aren't the freed slaves thanking, thanking the, the, the South? Because we all know... Africans would have never learned to be blacksmiths had they stayed in Africa. Look, uh, just for the record, because Americans are stupid and racist, sometimes they don't recognize sarcasm. I'm being sarcastic. So just for the record, uh, the reason uh, Ron DeSantis just said that had it not been for slavery, the, the blacks would have never learned to be blacksmiths. So let's talk about that for a second. This is not sarcasm. This is the truth. And uh, the reason the Europeans invaded Africa in the 19th century was because of its rich deposits of valuable minerals, especially iron ore. Ron DeSantis is talking about how Americans taught these slaves to be blacksmiths. You effing racist. Uh, Where was I? Uh, Europe discovered that uh, Africa was rich in valuable minerals. In the 19th century, they had iron ore. And how did the Europeans, how did the explorers come to understand that Africa had rich deposits of iron ore? Well, it was from all the intricate metal works that African tribes people had crafted by themselves extracting iron ore from beneath the ground that belonged to them. They didn't need Europeans or Americans to teach them how to be blacksmiths. It's the other way around, you effing ignoramus. Africans were master blacksmiths going back 2,500 years before white Europeans 
There are archaeological sites, Ron DeSantis in Cameroon, the Democratic Republic of Congo and Zimbabwe, and they provide incontrovertible evidence that you can see them in, mech, in, in uh, museums. If you ever bothered to visit Africa, Ron DeSantis, you would see proof that blacksmithing in sub-Saharan Africa was going on centuries before the white European learned how to do it. There was no benefit to black people being stacked like lumber and brought to America. There was no benefit, at least not for black people. There was a benefit for uh, slaveholders, free labor. But for black people, it was a holocaust and nothing, nothing good comes from a holocaust. Ron DeSantis, you racist, you racist, you authoritarian racist. He is the worst of he's worse than Trump. He is. He's worse than Trump because at least Trump is funny. I mean, we're all going to die with Trump, but at least we'll be laughing. Here is Fox superstar Jesse Waters. He's the new superstar. And uh, he has Tucker Carlson's old time slot. That's the racist time slot. Here is Jesse Waters uh, talking about Florida's new curriculum back in Ron DeSantis up. And here he is defending uh, the new curriculum standard regarding the teaching of the benefits to slavery. Here is Jesse Waters. No one is arguing slaves benefited from slavery. No one is saying that. It's not true. Oh. They're teaching how black people developed skills during slavery in some instances that could be applied for their own personal benefit. Ah, okay. So, you know, I am a little hot under the collar. So Jesse Waters is saying nobody is teaching kids that black people benefited from slavery, right? That's, that's what you're saying, right? No one is arguing slaves benefited from slavery. No one is saying that. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty convincing. Okay. So, so you're saying black people didn't benefit from slavery and that's not what, and you're saying that the Florida curriculum is not teaching that anybody benefited from slavery, that black people didn't benefit for, from slavery. That's what you're saying the Florida curriculum is teaching. Black people developed skills during slavery in some instances that could be applied for their own personal benefit. Okay, so you are saying black people were taught skills that they never would have learned had they not been stacked like wood onto those ships and brought to America. You just said it. You're saying black people were taught skills that they benefited from. It sounds like you're saying slaves benefited from slavery. No one is arguing slaves benefited from slavery. Oh, OK, because it sounded like you're saying that. What what are you saying? Black people developed skills during slavery in some instances that could be applied for their own personal benefit. Yeah, that sounds like you're saying black people benefited from slavery. No one is arguing slaves benefited from slavery. 
okay, well, when you say it that way, it sounds so convincing. It's, I mean, no, nobody is arguing that slaves benefited, benefited from slavery. You say it so loud and forcefully, so authoritatively. I guess I have to believe you when you say uh, that you and the state of Florida are not arguing that slaves benefited from slavery. Black people developed skills during slavery in some instances that could be applied for their own personal benefit. That sounds like you're saying they benefited from slavery. No one is arguing slaves benefited from slavery. Okay, and nobody is saying that Jesse Waters is a racist. Nobody is saying that. I'm just saying that Jesse Waters is trying to keep Tucker Carlson's audience by peddling the same precise, exact race, science and bigotry that Tucker Carlson did. Because Tucker Carlson is a racist, and so is Jesse Waters, and so is everybody who watches Fox News. But nobody is saying Jesse Waters is a racist. Nobody is saying that. Nobody is saying Fox News profits off the, the distorting of America's perception of crime, as well as genetics, by convincing latent racists into becoming full-bore racists by teaching them to blame black people for all their financial problems instead of the ruling class, which finances Fox News in order to distract poor white people into not realizing who's really responsible for all their anger and alienation. Nobody is calling Jesse Waters a white, a white supremacist with blood on his hands. Nobody's saying that. I'm just saying Jesse Waters is a bigoted white supremacist with blood on his hands. But nobody's saying that Jesse Waters is a bigoted white supremacist with blood on his hands. Nobody's saying that. I'm just saying Jesse Waters is a bigoted white supremacist with blood on his hands who adds a warm, shiny patina to hate and cruelty. That's all I'm saying. You know... I'm not really good at this. I'm really not. I have a chip on my shoulder. And, you know, I hear Jesse Waters. And to me, because, you know, I'm a little paranoid, this sounds like gaslighting. It really does. It sounds like rich, powerful white people being racist and then blaming black people for thinking they're being victimized by a racist. This is classic. I mean, at least, you know, because I have a chip on my shoulder and I'm impossible to work with and I'm paranoid. I see gaslighting. You know, I see, you know, this is how sexual harassment works. Anti-Arab, anti-gay, anti-Hispanic, anti-Semitism. This is how marginalized community, this is exactly how marginalized communities are constantly gaslit by rich and powerful white men, right? Yes, you know, if you want to keep count of all the cast members on my sketch comedy show, yeah, in the nearly 50 years we've been on the air, we've had few, if next to no, black comedians. But that's not because I'm a racist. <laughs> I'm not a racist. It's just that I hired a black comedian in the 90s and he was difficult to work with, so I decided to stop casting black people on my sketch comedy show. That's not racism. I love black people. In fact, 
I hired a few. I gave it a try. I just had bad luck with black cast members, so I stopped hiring them. That's how these rich and powerful white men gaslight black people and other marginalized communities. And while they're gaslighting the marginalized communities, they're gaslighting themselves. Donald Trump, I mean, they believe their own bullshit. I, countless times I have heard Donald Trump say, I love the Jews. Love them. I love the Jews. In my casinos, I always say, put the Jews in the counting room. Trust me, that's who you want in the counting room, the Jews. He says that over and over, and Jews are supposed to go, gee, he likes us. Nobody is better at counting money than the Jews. In Los Angeles, I constantly hear liberals, blue state liberals in Los Angeles say, get a Mexican gardener. Nobody works harder. I don't want them coming into my house and using the toilet or dating my daughter, but I love the Mexicans. Love them. Nobody trims an oleander tree better than a Mexican. I will only hire a Mexican gardener. I love those people. I love the blacks. Love them. Love the blacks. I tried Chinese slaves. We tried white slaves, Irish slaves. Can't nothing. The blacks. I love the blacks. They make the best slaves. How can I be racist? All my slaves are black. Here's what's going on. We're being gaslit. We're being gaslit in the true definition of getting gaslit. A rich and powerful white man controls the narrative, abuses somebody, but creates a perception that the person being abused isn't seeing things clearly. What, what's going on in Florida the, the teaching that slavery, you know, was a mixed bag. Ron DeSantis and the Florida Board of Education, what they are doing, they're consciously training young kids to live a lie. Don't deal with your past. Ignore it. That's the entire credo of the Republican Party. Ignore the past. Ignore our country's past and ignore your own past. Slavery wasn't America's original sin. This is how the Republicans are training their, their children to think, that slavery isn't America's original sin. It was a necessary step in the evolutionary development of both capitalism and black people, right? It's not just the teaching of slavery. It's also deny your sexuality. Deny who you are. Don't be gay. Don't acknowledge your sexuality or which gender you identify with. Live a lie. Live a lie. Stay in the closet. Pretend everything is okay. That's what make America great again. That's what it means. Live a lie. Let's go back to the 50s when white people pretended everything was okay. Blacks, women, the LGBTQ, they knew the truth. But back in the 50s, white people lived a lie. They pretended 
everything was okay. And that's what Jason Aldean, Donald Trump, Jesse Waters, Donald Trump, and the entire Republican Party is trying to get us back to normal times when white people got to live a lie. And when you live a lie, when you lie to yourself about yourself or about your country, it comes out in other ways. It comes, it always does. When you lie to yourself about yourself or your country, it comes out in horrific ways. When you construct a series of lies to justify your evil lifestyle, eventually it crumbles around you. But you'll still pretend it's all okay because that's all you've been trained to do is live a lie. So it's all crumbling around you and you live a lie and you ignore the truth. So you drink, you cheat, you hide and eventually you just disappear. You sink into yourself. When a human being or a nation constructs a mythology about who and what they really are, it leads to insanity. That's a fact. When a human being or a nation constructs a mythology about who and what they really are, it leads to insanity. Lindsey Graham is insane. Lindsay, we all know Lindsey Graham is insane because we all know who he is and what he's trying to deny to himself and others. We all know it. He knows it, and he knows we all know it, but he can't bring himself to say it. And that's why he's clinically insane. Look at Lindsey Graham. Watch him on the Sunday morning talk shows. I don't know if he's a hopeless alcoholic or not. I'm pretty sure he's an alcoholic. I don't know if he's a hopeless alcoholic, but he sure acts and sounds like a hopeless alcoholic. The way he lashes out for no reason, defends people who abuse him. People, you know, he defends Donald Trump. This is, by the actual definition of insanity, insanity. When you deny who you are and the truth about you, it breeds insanity. It always does. The more Florida lives a lie, the more it becomes insane. It's living a lie about slavery and it's living a lie about uh, about the LGBTQ community. You're not allowed to be black, gay, transgender, <clears throat> excuse me, in Florida. It forces people to live a lie. Uh you're teaching kids mythologies about slavery. It forces them to live a lie. And that creates insanity. Florida's insane. A Florida man. A Florida man. That is a meme. A Florida man. When you read that a shirtless zombie wearing leotards was freebasing bath salts and then hopped out of his speeding pickup truck and jumped on top of a police officer and began eating his face because he thought the cop was a plate of waffles. When you read a story like that, the first thing that comes to mind is Florida. Always. 99% of the time when you read about a 
some crazy man. It's in Florida. It's because Florida is literally a state of denial. And it's a cliche. We're only as sick as our secrets. It's a cliche because it's true. You're only as sick as your secrets. Florida is living with all these secrets and it's driving everybody in Florida crazy. I, um, being, you know, sick as your secrets. I have a, uh, well, I don't want to, well, let's just say he's a friend from high school, which isn't true. Uh, but he and his wife are having problems with their son. That's true. He's in his early 20s. He's depressed. He won't look for a job. He's living with his aunt. He's smoking dope, doing drugs. And, you know, they present as well-meaning blue state parents. They wring their hands. He's seeing a shrink to deal with his drinking. And I want to say when they talk to me about their son, I want to say, you know, he's gay, right? But I can't. I can't. I mean, I, if I had the moral fortitude and the courage, I would say, your son is gay. I don't have the courage to say that to them because they, they'd stop talking to me. Even though they have no problem with gay marriage, they don't want a gay son. Uh, they cannot bring themselves to deal with the fact that their son is gay. It's the 21st century. And, you know, they say all the right things. They vote blue. They hate Trump. They, but they say things like, our son is so depressed and lost. And, you know, he's got a mental illness and we're trying to work with him. Your son is gay. Your son is gay. He's not mentally ill. You're just not letting him be gay. Let him be gay. That's what I want to say. Your son is gay. Go visit your son at his aunt's and just say, we think you're gay. We think it's great that you're gay. And we're going to try to find a nice man for you. That's what I want to say to these people. Your son is gay. He's not depressed. He's not an alcoholic. He doesn't need to see a shrink. He's gay, but you won't let him be gay. That's what you need to say to your son. Uh, but that requires unconditional love. And these people, you know, in America, we... Too many of us don't love unconditionally. We don't accept people the way they are. We only accept them the way we want them to be. Your son is gay. Just say that. Acknowledge it. But, you know, it would be very uncomfortable for them to... Uh, it's not what they want. Of course, it's not about what they want. It's about what their son needs. Uh, and that's really the core of... All the insanity we see in Florida, in America, and Israel. Look, you know, look at Israel right now. Uh, now, I know this is unpopular, but I, I root for Israel. I do. Uh, I don't root for Benjamin Netanyahu, but I root for Israel. And right now, there are massive protests in Israel Doctors are going on strike. Army reservists are refusing to report to duty. Why? Why? Well, we're told, and this is what most Israelis, I think, think. They, they've convinced themselves that 
what's fueling the civil unrest, possibly a civil war. They're actually talking about a civil war in Israel. And what the media and what a lot of Jews in Israel are saying is, uh, well, this, this discontent is because of Bibi Netanyahu's power grab. It's all because Bibi is trying to strip the Israeli Supreme Court of what he, what he considers too much power. You know, Bibi's trying to return the power to the legislative branch. This is what it's all about. By the way, it would be nice if we actually did that here in America, what they're doing, what Bibi is doing in America. Uh, I don't know. Seems more democratic when the legislators, instead of unelected judges, get to chart the course of a nation. But that's what they say is going on in Israel. And I think most of the Israelis believe that, that. You know, that uh, Bibi Netanyahu is an existential threat to Israeli democracy. There could be a civil war. They are fighting for the soul of the nation. To which I say, no, Israel, your son is gay. You're not dealing with the truth. You're just dealing with symptoms. Your son is gay, Israel. Let your son be gay, Israel. All this screaming and fighting in Israel right now is a symptom of denial. Israel is denying who it is, what it's become, and that leads to insanity. Israel, your son is gay. Let your son be gay. Okay, it's not about Israel having a gay son. It's about the Palestinians. They're in denial about the Palestinians. When a nation or a person denies the real problem, the real origin story, the, 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 the original sin, the problem, it fosters, it always creates insanity. It's biblical. Read the Old Testament. Societies go crazy when they deny the truth. All the arguing and fighting that's going on in Israel right now, all the disagreements, all the vitriol directed at Benjamin Netanyahu and the fascist hardliners, all of this is because Israel refuses to solve the Palestinian problem. Israel is slowly getting more conservative when it comes to the Palestinians. And as Israel moves further and further away from wanting to solve the Palestinian problem, they go into denial, they live a lie, and that creates the insanity we're seeing on the streets of Israel right now, the fighting amongst one another, the refusal to acknowledge the settlers on the West Bank are immoral and we have to deal with them. But they can't say that. It's a power grab. They're trying to undermine the judiciary branch. This is what, no, your son is gay. Your son is drinking, he's depressed, he won't find a job because he won't admit he's gay because you won't let him be gay. That's what's going on. Denial. The same way America refused to deal with slavery until it was too late and we had the Civil War. Israel refuses to deal with the Israeli settlers on the West Bank. You cannot say 
And I root for Israel, by the way. You can't say we're the only democracy in the Middle East except for how we treat the Palestinians. The same way America can't say we're a beacon of hope, we're a beacon of freedom, except for the slaves, except for the blacks and the Chinese. And we're a beacon of hope and democracy for everybody except for a lot of people. It makes people go crazy. It's why America is so insane. And that leads to civil unrest and polarization. Bibi Netanyahu is in power this morning because Israel has yet to solve the Palestinian crisis. This is a crisis. And because it's a crisis, because the Jews feel they're under constant threat, they live in constant fear. And constant fear is exactly what fascists it's exactly what fascists want. It's Having Israeli Jews living in, in constant fear, it's where Bibi Netanyahu wants the population. If you have an entire nation living in fear, people will surrender not just their civil liberties, they will surrender their sense of right and wrong. When you're terrified... You surrender your sense of right and wrong. I was talking to my sister about this here in America. We've lost our sense of right and wrong here in America. I can't find an, you cannot find an honest person in America because everybody's terrified. What's going on in Israel this morning has nothing to do with judiciary reform. It's a symptom. It has nothing to do with this pig, Benjamin Netanyahu, who had a peacemaker, a pace, they should have put a peacemaker in his heart instead of a pacemaker, has nothing to do with Netanyahu's power grab. <clears throat> it is a symptom of denial when a nation refuses to uh, acknowledge that it is subjugating an entire people, it makes them crazy. But you know what? I'm crazy. You know that. You know that. So what do I know? I'm not Russell Brand. I wish I were Russell Brand. I'm not Russell Brand. I'm not charming. Nobody ever put me in movies. Women don't swoon in my presence. Women don't want to take care of me, no matter how self-destructive I am. I don't have a British accent, long hair. I don't dress like a dangerous bad boy. I don't wear necklaces. I don't gesticulate wildly while I talk about my search for eternal truths. I'm not Russell Brand. I wish I were. Uh, you know, he's a lefty, right? I think he's a lefty, you know, like Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller has long hair and uses the F word. So he's a lefty. Uh, you know, Russell Brand, look at him. He's a lefty. He's got long hair. He looks like Jesus. He curses. And he's always searching for meaning in the universe. And he would never manipulate the people who listen to his podcast. He would never present himself as a lefty, but gaslight his listeners and turn them into fascists. He wouldn't do that because he's searching for answers and he's open-minded He's one of our allies here on the left, like Jimmy Dore. 
because he's open minded. Uh, Russell Brand, you know, he's smart. He went to acting school and he, he's got to be a lefty because he's a recovering drug addict. He did drugs so that, you know, he smokes pot. He's, he's got to be a lefty and he's a recovering bulimic and he talks about it. That's that's what lefties do. He suffers from attention deficit disorder. And, you know, he's just like all of us just trying to find his way in the world. And that's he's got to be a lefty. You know, at one time, Russell Brand was a pro-union activist. He supported Chelsea Manning. But, you know, he started doing a podcast supporting unions and Chelsea Manning. And his podcast, you know, was like mine. It's like everybody else's. You know, it just wasn't. Nobody wanted to listen to that shit. And then COVID hit. And Russell Brand discovered that if you become anti-vax, traffic and conspiracy theories, you can start making the kind of money you used to make in movies right before everybody discovered you can't act and you're not funny. So Russell Brand, you know, he looks like a lefty. He quacks like a lefty, but he's a quack. And that makes him a wonderfully charming, soft entry point into fascism for susceptible listeners. He's, you know, cut from the same authoritarian cloth as Jimmy Dore and Joe Rogan. You know, I'm just asking questions and I'm angry. I'm not a fascist. I'm just angrily asking questions and trivializing the plight of marginalized communities. I'm just asking questions. Here is Russell Brand talking to a fascist, Governor Ron DeSantis. You know, there are key moments in a person's life. You get Ron DeSantis to come on your show. I know what I would say to Ron DeSantis. I know what I would ask Ron DeSantis. I mean, Russell Brand, he's just asking questions, right? So he had fascist Ron DeSantis on his show last week, and... You know, uh, this isn't working, is it? Here we go. There you go. So Ron DeSantis, that, you know, in, in show business, they call that a get. Like, that. ooh, that's a big name. You get Ron DeSantis on your show, a lot of people are going to listen. So I was especially interested in how Russell Brand uh, would talk to Ron DeSantis because there's this Vice documentary that we've talked about. It's about Ron DeSantis's time as a JAG officer at Guantanamo Bay. And uh, Showtime pulled it. Showtime has refused to air this documentary about Ron DeSantis. And we are now getting reports that this documentary reveals what we've been talking about on this show, that Ron DeSantis is guilty of war crimes in Gitmo, that he was laughing while detainees were getting tortured. And Russell Brand is all about being free, right? You can see it there. It's stay free. That's his, It's either about politics or a, a, a maxi pad, but he calls himself stay free Russell Brand. So you would think he'd be concerned about the detainees in Gitmo and the documentary that Showtime refused to, to air. So I couldn't wait to hear what Russell Brand 
the searcher for truths, the rebel. I couldn't wait for his hard hitting interview with Ron DeSantis. Let's watch Stay Free. That's his slogan. Russell Brand. Let's watch him grill the fascist Ron DeSantis. In Florida recently, I was struck by the amount of pride that Floridians have in their state. You appear to be universally endorsed by the population of Florida. He appears to be universally endorsed by the population of Florida. Well, you know, he has uh, attention deficit disorder, so maybe he doesn't read. So, Russell, I'm not as uh, successful as you, but uh, and I know you can't read. You don't have the, the concentration abilities, but maybe you didn't know this about Florida. This is from the NAACP, Russell, you know, uh, headline from the this press release from the NAACP, Russell. A warning to all. This is from last month. Florida is home to hate. There's now a travel advisory for black people in Florida. Russell Brand, uh, if you weren't busy uh, posturing, uh, you would know this. Let me go full screen here. This is from the NAACP. Today, the NAACP Board of Directors issued a formal travel advisory for the state of Florida. The travel advisory comes in direct response to Governor Ron DeSantis's aggressive attempts to erase black history and to restrict diversity, equity and inclusion programs in Florida schools. The formal travel notice states, quote, Florida is openly hostile toward African-Americans, people of color and LGBTQ plus individuals before traveling to Florida. Please understand that the state of Florida devalues and marginalizes the, con the contributions of and the challenges faced by African-Americans and other communities of color. That's from the NAACP, Russell Brand, you poser. You're going to trust Ron DeSantis over the NAACP. Well, uh, why isn't this working? Okay, there is a travel advisory by America's largest LGBTQ advocacy group. It is not safe, according to America's largest LGBTQ advocacy group, for members of the LGBTQ plus community to travel in Florida. That's a fact. You got the NAACP. You got the country's largest LGBTQ advocacy group telling blacks and people of color, you might want to be careful going to Florida. So, Russell Brand, please continue your hard hitting interview with the fascist Ron DeSantis. What is evident, even after just uh, uh, this limited amount of time in your company, is that you are a competent orator, that you are a successful politician, that you are very appealing, that you've succeeded in Florida. Wow. That is, he just grilled Ron DeSantis. He really is a seeker of truth. You've succeeded in Florida. He succeeded in Florida. You know, I know Russell Brand is getting wealthy off conspiracy theories and 
and uh, being anti-vax. He's got millions and millions of followers. So he's got a lot of money and they're all these stupid women who want to take care of him. And so he's just he doesn't have time to read and study the issues. He's too busy searching for truths. So let me help you there, Russell Brand. You've succeeded in Florida. Okay, you succeeded in Florida. If you picked up a book, uh, if you read, I don't know, the Miami Herald, if you read anything, but you don't have time, you're too busy seeking the truth. So let's let me just edify Russell Brand. Okay, this is from the New York Times. Uh, the steep cost of Ron DeSantis's vaccine turnabout. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, how he succeeded when it comes to uh, fighting COVID and how he's helped the people of Florida, how he succeeded. Right. Because that's what. Right. What did you say, Russell? You've succeeded in Florida. Right. So this is the headline from The New York Times. I believe this is from Monday's New York Times. I know you have attention deficit disorder. Russell, uh, but, you know, maybe if you could read a little headline, the steep cost of Ron DeSantis's vaccine turnabout. Once a vaccine advocate, the Florida governor lost his enthusiasm for the shot before the Delta wave sent COVID hospitalizations and deaths soaring. It's a grim chapter he now leaves out of his rosy retelling of his pandemic response. That's from July 22nd of the 2020 of 2023 New York Times. Uh, I want you to bear with me on this because the Wall Street Journal, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, has an editorial Tuesday singing the praises of how Ron DeSantis handled COVID. And it's complete and utter bullshit. You know, there are no hyperlinks. Anytime you read an editorial that has no hyperlinks, to back up these axiomatic statements, you know it's bullshit. So I want to correct the Wall Street Journal and the record and Ron DeSantis's lies about COVID because he's running as though COVID was a success story. So this is from the New York Times. Bear with me, please. Please stick with me. The governor now presents his COVID strategy not only as his biggest accomplishment, but as the foundation for his presidential campaign. Mr. DeSantis argues that, quote, Florida got it right because he was willing to stand up for the rights of individuals despite pressure from the health bureaucrats. On the campaign trail, he says liberal bastions like New York and California needlessly traded away freedoms while Florida preserved jobs, in-person schooling, and quality of life. Okay, so let's talk about this success story, right? Before we get to COVID, I want to help Russell uh, because Ron DeSantis you know, had no mask mandates, no vaccine mandates, and it's all about improving the quality of life. That's what he's running on. And, you know, Russell Brand says... You've succeeded in Florida. All right, so you succeeded in Florida. Let's talk about quality of life in Florida, Russell, shall we? Here we go. This is quality of life under Ron DeSantis, Russell. 
20% of Floridians lack health insurance entirely, more than almost any other state. Florida has become the least affordable state in America. It is the least affordable state in America under Ron DeSantis. Inflation is twice the national average under Ron DeSantis. Property insurance costs are the highest rates in America, right? I've talked about that at the top of the show, but Russell says... You've succeeded in Florida. Yeah, you succeeded in Florida. Read a book. Uh, Under quality of life, Florida teacher shortage... Uh, with Ron DeSantis, Florida's teacher shortage resulted in more than 100,000 students without a full-time teacher. You know, instead of the don't say gay bill and banning books and uh, saying that African-American studies isn't a real AP class, maybe Ron DeSantis could get 100,000 teachers uh, for, for the kids in Florida, right? Instead of worry about transgender Kids using the wrong bathroom. How about teaching the effing kids? Why don't you try that? Florida Department of Education grades the schools in Florida. And the Florida Department of Education says under Governor Ron DeSantis, the number of schools getting an F between the years 2019 and 2022 doubled under Ron DeSantis. But Florida under Ron DeSantis, second only to Texas in banning books, right? The schools are crumbling in Florida because they don't want to teach. They just want to ban books and marginalize African-Americans and the transgender community. By every yardstick, Ron DeSantis is a failure in Florida. But, you know, Russell Brand, he says... You've succeeded in Florida. You succeeded in Florida, Yeah, Uh, let's continue, shall we? Florida's infant mortality rate worse than the national average. Florida is second in the nation in death rate for drug overdoses. Drug overdoses. Florida's high school dropout rate above the national average. Florida ranks seventh uh, in America in income inequality. You've succeeded in Florida. Uh, Go fuck yourself. Uh, And most importantly, Florida under Ron DeSantis ranks 44th in overall public safety. You've succeeded in Florida. It ranks 44th in public safety in Florida. The man's a fascist. He's running on law and order. It ranks 44th in America for public safety. If you you're you're more likely to get robbed and beaten and bullied, by the way, they have statistics that show uh, Florida is the number one state in America for bullies. Gee, what a surprise. A fascist who runs on law and order can't control the crime. rate. I mean, what's the point of having a fascist in charge of your state if you can't bring the crime rate down? Okay. So let's talk about COVID because that's Russell Brand's big thing, right? He's a uh, uh, anti-mask, anti-vax, conspiracy theorist. You know, that's how you get a hundred times more listeners. Pedal conspiracy theories. Russell Brand's making a lot of money. Obviously, he's making so much money, he no longer has time to read and do his research. Uh, So here's the truth about COVID. So the New York Times, I originally said, 
they, they did a study of how Ron DeSantis shit the bed on COVID. While, he, you know, he, his story is, I opened up the schools. We didn't have mask mandates or vaccine mandates. We opened up the businesses and we improved Florida's quality of life. Okay. I've just proven to you incontrovertible. I've just given you incontrovertible evidence that the quality of life under Ron DeSantis during COVID has deteriorated far worse than three quarters of the states here in America by every yardstick. He's a failure. So how did he do on COVID? That's his big lie. This is let's go back to The New York Times on COVID. This is from The New York Times. A close review by The New York Times of Florida's pandemic response, including a new analysis of the data on deaths, hospitalizations and vaccination rates in the state, suggests that Mr. DeSantis's account of his record leaves much out. While Florida was an early leader in the share of over 65 people over 65 residents getting vaccinated, it had fallen to the middle of the pack by the end of July of 2021. When it came to younger residents, Florida lagged behind the national average in every age group. So the idea is that Ron DeSantis was saying, well, you know, we're going to get grandma and grandpa vaccinated, but young people herd immunity. Let them get it. Let's see how that worked out, shall we? This is from the New York Times. That left the state particularly vulnerable when the Delta variant hit that month. Floridians died at a higher rate adjusted for age than residents of almost any other state during the Delta wave. That's according to analysis from the New York Times. With less than 7% of the nation's population, Florida accounted for 14% of deaths between the start of July and end of October. These are facts, okay? And I'm bringing this up because it's what Ron DeSantis is running on. And the Wall Street Journal has an editorial yesterday that just is a, they, they just copy and pasted Ron DeSantis's talking points about how Florida did so well under COVID. He shit the bed on COVID. This is from The Lancet. Uh, it's a British medical journal. Uh, be nice if Russell uh, read The Lancet, but he's too, he's making so much money being an anti-vaxxer. He doesn't have time to read. This is a study from The Lancet on infectious diseases. Implicate, and this just came out uh, last month. Implications of suboptimal COVID-19 vaccination coverage in Florida and Texas. Okay, I don't know what suboptimal means, but let me read this to you. Okay. In July of 2021, another wave of COVID-19 began in the USA at, oh, fuck me. Why can't, woe is me. Let's try it again. In July, another wave of COVID-19 began in the USA as the highly infectious Delta B1 the blah, 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 SARS variant drove outbreaks predominantly affecting states with relatively low vaccination coverage. 
some U.S. states have shown the feasibility of rapidly achieving high vaccination coverage. Specifically, an average of 74% of adults had been fully vaccinated in Vermont, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maine, and Rhode Island by July 31st. In contrast, two states facing substantial Delta-driven surges, Florida and Texas, had fully vaccinated only 59.5% and 55.8% of their adult residents, respectively. So that means Florida had fully vaccinated only 59.5% of their adults, as opposed to places like Massachusetts, Maine, and Rhode Island, Vermont, where it was 74%, okay? Here we estimate the deaths, hospital admissions, and infections that could have been averted had Florida and Texas matched the average vaccination pace of the top performing states and vaccinated 74% of their adult populations by the end of July. Okay, this is more from uh, The Lancet. Reduction in deaths would have been blah, blah, blah. Collectively, these two states could have averted more than 95,000 hospital admissions and 22,000 deaths had they reached the vaccination coverage achieved by the top five states and continued at the same pace until August 31st of 2021. But, Russell... You've succeeded in Florida. Okay. Here's a general rule of thumb. Don't get your information from Jimmy Dore, Russell Brand, Joe Rogan, or me. Read The Lancet. <laughs> Read The New York Times. Don't listen to failed actors and unfunny comedians. You, you end up getting killed. People die from misinformation. Uh, Russell Brand, dangerous guy. Dangerous guy. People think he's an ally. He's the enemy. He's the enemy. There's a lot of money to be made spreading conspiracy theories and being anti-vax. He's a useful tool. For authoritarians, look at the smile on Ron DeSantis's face. Know the enemy. There will always be posers, people pretending they're on the left, people pretending they believe in freedom and democracy, but they're in the service of authoritarians. They're part of the authoritarian playbook. Look at that. Stay free with Russell Brand. The antithesis of freedom is fascist, Ron DeSantis. And there's poser Russell Brand sucking up to fascism. This is special counsel Jack Smith. Now, when a president is suspected of far-reaching crimes that spread over multiple federal agencies as well as local jurisdictions around the country, it is commonplace for the attorney general to bundle all the possible indictments into one portfolio and hand it over to what is called a special counsel. 
Jack Smith, for example, is a special counsel because the attorney general is a political appointee who serves at the will of the president, while a special counsel is walled off. He is immune to the vicissitudes of the changing political tides. For example, Ken Starr was the independent counsel when the Republicans were going after Bill Clinton. Independent counsel is different from a special counsel, but Ken Starr was an independent counsel who rightly or wrongly pursued Bill Clinton to the bitter end, despite it no longer being politically advantageous for the Republicans. You might remember that Republicans paid a heavy political price for impeaching Clinton, but Starr, who was a Republican serving alongside a Democratic attorney general appointed by a Democratic president, Starr was free as an independent counsel to go wherever the investigation took him, and he went there. Jack Smith is a special counsel. He's not an independent counsel. He's a special counsel. And whether the Republicans like it or not, he has the same freedom pretty much that Ken Starr has, and he has already indicted Donald Trump for mishandling classified material. But what he has yet to do so far is indict Trump for the big enchilada, January 6th. We have yet to see an indictment of Donald Trump for January 6th. Why is that? Well, we now know that the FBI, for a year after January 6th, refused to investigate the role Donald Trump played in that insurrection. The FBI, Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, was terrified of going there because he was terrified the FBI would end up being accused of being weaponized and politicized, you know, like the Republicans are doing right now. And so the FBI stood down and Merrick Garland, the new attorney general, upon taking office in 2021, decided that he would go after the low hanging fruit first when it came to prosecuting January 6th. He decided to work his way up the Trump food chain until it got too close to the former president's Oval Office, and then he would turn it over to special counsel Jack Smith, which is what he did last year. Merrick Garland, whether you like it or not, has done a pretty good job going after January 6th low-hanging fruit. More than 1,000 people who stormed the Capitol have been arrested, with close to 500 defendants now doing time. Earlier this year, and this is quite remarkable and underreported, Garland, the attorney general, was able to get juries to convict leaders of the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys on charges of seditious conspiracy, seditious conspiracy, sedition. As we speak, as I talk to you right now, the head of the Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes, the head of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tarrio, are now doing time in a federal prison for seditious conspiracy. I know it's hard to keep track of all of this, but when history looks back, Merrick Garland, who I have complained about countless times, I've complained that he's not moving quickly enough. Merrick Garland has been slowly and methodically putting big numbers on the board. He's winning these trials, securing prison sentences, working his way up the ladder 
to Trump so that he could then turn it all over to special counsel Jack Smith. And as I said, Jack Smith has indicted Trump over the mishandling of classified material, but he has yet to indict Trump over January 6th until this week. Now, I know there's climate change, income inequality, and tens upon thousands of Americans dying each month because they're underinsured. But that doesn't mean we're not up against a strain of American fascism that is taking root, taking root partly because of income inequality, climate change, and a crumbling healthcare system. But without a functioning Justice Department, without law and order, without an attorney general and a special counsel willing to prosecute the real criminals, men and women who wear suits and ties, those are the real criminals in this country. If we don't start prosecuting these people, we're going to fall into the abyss and never find our way out. I believe prosecuting Trump isn't a distraction because Franklin Roosevelt, the gold standard of presidents, he could fight for the New Deal and fight fascism. Granted, Franklin Roosevelt couldn't chew gum and walk at the same time, but he could fight poverty and fight Hitler because he knew that fascism is poverty's twin sister. Now, your life won't change when Donald Trump goes to jail, but it will change if he doesn't. There is evil among us, not just Trump. There's DeSantis, Kevin McCarthy, and pretty much the entire Republican Party that hates workers and democracy. This is evil. This is a party that doesn't believe in the rule of law. Getting Trump in prison is more important than we all realize, not just because he's beating Biden in some of the polls, because he is a criminal. Now, it has been confirmed that Jack Smith the special counsel, this is huge, sent Donald Trump a letter that Trump, informing Trump that he is the target of an investigation into January 6th. This means that Donald Trump is very likely to be arrested yet again, probably this week, and indicted for the role he played in either January 6th or in trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election. I'm going to talk about two prongs, two specific types of prosecutions that I think Jack Smith is going to pursue. Uh, and it's a little complicated, and I'll try to explain it. But first, let me give you an idea of what we're up against, how dangerous the Republican Party is. Here is Kevin McCarthy. He's the Republican Speaker of the House. Here he is yesterday responding to reports that Donald Trump is about to be indicted for the role he played on January 6th. Yes, uh, under a Biden administration, Biden America, you'd expect this. If you notice recently, President Trump went up in the polls and was uh, actually surpassing President Biden for re-election. So what do they do now? Weaponize government to go after their number one opponent. It's time and time again. I think the American public is tired of this. They want to have see equal justice. And the idea that they utilize this to go after those who politically disagree with them is wrong. This is what we're up against. 
Kevin McCarthy, who was cowering in the Capitol basement on January 6th, on the phone with Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, crying, begging, on the phone with Donald Trump on January 6th, screaming and begging for Donald Trump to call off his attack dogs. Kevin McCarthy thought he was going to die on January 6th. And when he was screaming at Trump, telling him to stop it, Trump said, no, I'm not going to stop it because apparently these people storming the Capitol care more about the election than you do. Unquote. You had Republicans cowering on January 6th, running, fearing for their lives. You saw Josh Harley, Howie, Mr. Fist, you know, running for his lives. Uh, but when the dust settled later that day, when the Capitol was cleared, people, hypocrites, cowards like Kevin McCarthy reverted to their lapdog position. They voted not to certify the election for Joe Biden later that day. Hours after Trump had the Capitol stormed, where Mike Pence almost got killed, where Nancy Pelosi almost got killed, the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, voted not to certify the election for Joe Biden, which under the 14th Amendment automatically disqualifies Kevin McCarthy from ever serving in elective office again. We've talked about that. Look, there have been corrupt leaders in this country. In fact, I think all of them are corrupt. But we have never seen in modern history a party like these Republicans. The Republicans are disloyal to our Constitution. They're disloyal to America. They are entirely in the service of the oil companies, gun lobbyists, Wall Street, and of course, Donald Trump. They are terrified of Donald Trump. Trump. Not since 1861 have we seen such brazen dishonesty and sedition. This is sedition. Kevin McCarthy, under the 14th Amendment, is forbidden from serving in elected office. But of course, we're not going to enforce that. So let me try to explain the choices that special counsel Jack Smith has and what kind of indictments I think are coming down this week. I'm usually wrong, but this is what I think is going to happen. So there's the classified material, but when it comes to prosecuting Trump for January 6th, this is the big one, right? The history books will be written about the, these prosecutions. Uh, there are, as I see it, and I'm usually wrong, two prongs for Jack Smith uh, in prosecuting Trump for January Smith, uh, January 6th. OK, the first prong is easy for all of us to understand. And I think this is what I, this is the indictment I think we're going to see later this week. I think this first set of indictments coming down will be Jack Smith charging Trump with conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, that official proceeding being the certification of the presidential election on January 6th, okay? It's against the law to block a, an official government proceeding, especially the certification of a presidential election, which takes place on January 6th. And this, I think, is going to be easy for most of us to understand. It is against the law 
to forcibly prevent Congress from certifying the election on January 6th, to to marshal your paramilitary groups and send them into the Capitol. That's violence. It's something that's easy for all of us to grasp. It's clear cut. Trump gathered a mob on the ellipse earlier that day on January 6th. He knew they were heavily armed and he urged them to march on the Capitol and fight like hell. He incited a riot. He incited an insurrection. He told his supporters to go in there and stop the votes from getting counted. He sat, we know this from the January 6th report, he sat in the Oval Office that day watching the insurrection. He told subordinates that Mike Pence deserved to be hanged. And he refused to call off the mob or send in the National Guard to protect the Capitol Police and, of course, our entire legislative branch. This is clear cut. It's easy to understand. This is a prosecution that I I think, and again, I don't know anything. This is the prosecution. These are the indictments that I think will be coming down this week, right? Because Merrick Garland, the attorney general, before handing this over to special counsel Jack Smith, he has already secured convictions on seditious conspiracy. Seditious conspiracy. We've got leaders of the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers who are serving time right now for seditious conspiracy. We know that they were coordinating their movements with high-level Trump advisors. We also know that Trump incited the insurrection by lying, by misleading his supporters. And that is against the law if he knew he was lying, which we now know He knew he was lying. Telling your supporters that the election has been stolen, this is what he did. He told his supporters the election has been stolen uh, while openly admitting to his closest advisors that, yeah, I lost. Apparently, the special counsel has gotten testimony before the grand jury from top Trump officials that privately... Trump told them he knew he lost. Well, if Trump knew he lost, but went out and told the American people that he won and that the election was stolen, that is criminal behavior. That is inciting a riot. It's, ins- it's not protected by the First Amendment. It's inciting an insurrection. Uh, to tell millions of your supporters that you won when you knew you lost, it's criminal behavior. Now, we don't know who flipped, but somebody flipped. We know that Rudy Giuliani has been brought in before Jack Smith's grand jury. We know Jared Kushner has been brought in. Several high-ranking White House officials, including Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, they've all been brought in and they've all been forced to testify before special counsel Jack Smith's grand jury. And we seem... This is what we seem to know. None of these people are targets. None of them are targets. Rudy Giuliani, not a target. Mark Meadows, not a target. Why aren't they a target? Well, it means, I suspect, 
that they cooperated with special counsel Jack Smith. In other words, they probably, most probably, flipped their rats, as Trump would call them. These are people trying to save their own ass. So prosecuting Trump for inciting the insurrection, prosecuting Trump for conspiring to stop a government proceeding, the certification of the January 6th, certification of the presidential election on January 6th, I think that's going to be easy for all of us, as well as a jury, to understand. Because we all saw January 6th on our televisions. We get that. So that's why, and I'm always wrong, but I do, I suspect that Jack Smith is going to prosecute the violence. We're going we're to see a prosecution of Trump for the violence Trump wrought on January 6th, stopping a government proceeding. Now, there's another prong that's more detailed and complicated. And I don't think Jack Smith is going to indict Trump on conspiracy to defraud the government, conspiracy to defraud the government. I think those indictments are uh, in in the shoot. I just don't think they're going to be coming this week. I think they're going to come near the end of 2023. Uh, That's, again, I don't know what I'm talking about. This is tougher for us to understand, but I really urge all of you to try to to get a handle on this because it's for the history books. It's less about violence and it's more about legal proceedings. It involves Article 2 of our Constitution and understanding how our presidential elections work on a granular level. It's very complicated uh, and the Trump administration knew it was going to be complicated and hard to understand. But this is uh, the real dirty work that Trump and his henchmen uh, performed. So uh, there was, if you read the January 6th report, if you follow this stuff closely, there was a much deeper conspiracy to overturn the 2020 presidential elections, much deeper than the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. The Republicans, even Mike Pence, want us to believe that January 6th was just some spontaneous riot. It was a protest that got out of hand on January 6th. But if you read the January 6th report and a lot of these books that have been written about January 6th, you would understand that there was a deep conspiracy with tentacles that reached far into state and local governments to overturn the 2020 elections, because this is how the Republicans win. They work the local, they work city government and state government. That's how they win. This conspiracy on January 6th was more than just violence, was more than just strong arming the legislative branch and trying to stop the certification on January 6th. This second prong is, I think, going to be the series of indictments that come down later in the year. And 
Donald Trump will be indicted for conspiring with several lawyers, lawyers like John Eastman, a former law clerk for Clarence Thomas. Uh, They were conspiring uh, to send a separate set of electors to Washington on January 6th and after January 6th. This is fraud. This is conspiracy to defraud the federal government. And it's tough to understand. But Trump and Eastman, uh, Clarence Thomas's former law clerk, several other advisors to Trump, and we're going to find out who these people are. Uh, and they're right now they're all getting disbarred. I think Eastman... Uh, has has been disbarred or, or no, his uh, disbarment is going on in California right now. Uh, several advisors to Trump lawyers allegedly forged documents. They broke state and federal law by creating a counterfeit slate of electors to go into the Electoral College. Uh, the plan was initially for Mike Pence on January 6th to declare the election uncertifiable. And then Trump would have the election decided in Congress, right? With uh, each state getting one vote, depending on, I don't want to get into that. But, uh, and by sowing doubt, that's how the Republicans work, uh, by insisting on voter fraud that didn't exist, they could present their own delegates. They would present their own slate of delegates, and that would lend credibility to Trump's claims. So they would say uh, there was voter fraud in Pennsylvania. The popular vote in Pennsylvania says that Biden won, but that's voter fraud. We've we are sending a separate set of electors. Uh, This is the attorney general. I I know this is confusing. uh, And and that's why they almost succeeded. When stuff is complicated, our eyes glaze over and we just let it happen and we believe the lies. So this is important. Uh, This is the attorney general for Michigan. Her name is Dana Nessel. And this Tuesday, she charged 16 residents of Michigan for participating in Trump's false elector scheme. This is I I don't think it's a coincidence that Trump is about to be indicted for January 6th. And the the state attorney general for Michigan has now uh, charged 16 residents of Michigan for participating in Trump's false elector scheme. The false elector scheme is that second prong that Jack Smith is going to pursue, I believe, later in the year. This is a huge indictment on a local level. This is bigger than the Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg indicting Donald Trump. Uh, That trial goes in March. This is about January 6th. This is about conspiring with lawyers to overturn a presidential election, okay? So Dana Nessel, attorney general from Michigan, she says these defendants met covertly in the basement of the Michigan Republican Party headquarters on December 14th. 
to sign their names to certify Michigan's elections falsely, lying uh, that they were, quote, duly elected and are qualified electors for president and vice president of the United States for the state of Michigan. This is fraud. This is conspiracy to defraud the United States government. They signed false documents, which were then transmitted to the United States Senate and, of course, the National Archives. This was a well-coordinated attempt to give Michigan's electoral votes to Donald Trump in place of Joe Biden, who won the popular vote in Michigan. Now, you know that they didn't dream this up by themselves. Somebody in Washington, D.C., somebody in the Trump White House was coordinating this fraud, this conspiracy to defraud the United States government. This is huge. Here she is. Here is the Michigan State Attorney General, Dana Nessel. Here she is explaining these charges on Tuesday. Each of them has been charged with one count of conspiracy to commit forgery, a 14-year felony, two counts of forgery, a 14-year felony, one count of conspiracy to commit uttering and publishing, a 14-year felony, one count of uttering and publishing, a 14-year felony, one count of conspiracy to commit election law forgery, a five-year felony, and two counts of election law forgery, a five-year felony. Okay. She continued. We intend to prove the following elements beyond a reasonable doubt. That the defendants knowingly made, filed, or published a false document for a purpose under Michigan election law and acted with the intent to defraud. The defendants did falsely make, alter, forge, or counterfeit a public record with the intent to defraud. The defendants did utter and publish as true a certain false, forged, altered, or counterfeit record with intent to injure or defraud, knowing said instrument to be false, altered, forged, or counterfeit, and that they unlawfully conspired together or with others to carry out these acts. Okay, this is the the, the second prong that Jack Smith is going to pursue defrauding the United States government. She concludes. Undoubtedly, there will be those who claim these charges are political in nature. But where there is overwhelming evidence of guilt in respect to multiple crimes, the most political act I could engage in as a prosecutor would be to take no action at all. That is the attorney general for Michigan. Her name is Dana Nessel. Yes, she's a Democrat. Of course, she's a Democrat. Uh, so this is the second prong, right? A and I don't believe defrauding the United States government, conspiring with lawyers in Washington, D.C. Trump conspired with his lawyers in Washington, D.C. and state and local Republicans like in Michigan to defraud the United States government by sending phony electors, a phony slate of electors 
to uh, get Donald Trump elected president. It's fraud. They forged documents. They lied and said that Trump won Michigan when he didn't. This is the second prong that Jack Smith is going to pursue, but I don't believe quite yet because it seems to be because of this indictment that comes out of Michigan, this seems to be a bottom-up approach. Uh, this seems to be working first on the state level. Uh, and by the way, I believe the this Michigan, these charges out of Michigan are the first January 6 indictments involving the conspiracy to overturn the election results. I believe that these are the, what came out of Michigan on Tuesday is the first indictments uh, for for conspiracy to defraud the government, I believe. Uh, and it's bubbling up, it seems, from the states. It's not Jack Smith, the special counsel. Now, this is why Michigan is really important, because these phony electors who she charged, they are all going to flip. Every single one of them. They're going to they're going to spill. They're going to what just they're they're to stay out of prison. They're going to tell anybody and everyone who they coordinated with. Again, they didn't dream up this plan. These orders came from Washington, D.C. They came from Donald Trump. They came from his lawyers. And we're going to find out who coordinated this attempt to defraud the government of the United States. Which is why, again, I don't believe Jack Smith, the special counsel, is going to indict Trump this week on conspiracy to defraud the government. I say Jack Smith is going to hold off on indicting Trump for conspiracy to overturn the election results, to defraud the government, send his own slate of electors to Washington. I think he's going to wait for Michigan to prosecute. I think Jack Smith is going to wait until Fannie Willis, the Fulton County Georgia DA, I think she's going to indict Trump next month for trying to strong arm Georgia's Secretary of State into finding extra votes for Donald Trump, uh, even though Trump lost Georgia. I think and I'm usually wrong, that Trump will be indicted this week. He will be arrested this week. But I think he will be arrested on charges of inciting the riot on January 6th. I think later this week he will be indicted on charges of encouraging his supporters to stop an official proceeding through force, through brute force. I think Trump will be indicted for the violence we saw on January 6th, he will be indicted for delaying the certification of the election through force. But that second prong, the conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government to overturn a presidential election by sending his own counterfeit slate of electors. I think Jack Smith holds off on that until later in the year. But then again, what do I know? This is my favorite. The Israeli government is now accusing Donald Trump of stealing ancient artifacts that were on loan to the White House. You got to love Donald Trump. Apparently, besides, you know, he kept the classified material, uh, but uh, Trump also decided to take some ancient Israeli artifacts that didn't belong to him back to Mar-a-Lago with him.
you got to love uh, Donald Trump. They were Israeli clay lamps. And uh, I think they had something to do with Hanukkah and I, uh, <laughs> some, some ancient menorahs that Donald Trump decided. Uh, he's probably using them as a doorstop. Well, Phoenix, Arizona reached a new milestone on Tuesday. How are we on time? Okay. Phoenix, Arizona reached a new milestone on Tuesday, recording 19 straight days of temperatures hitting 110 degrees or higher. That's 10 degrees higher than it normally is during the summer. 110 degrees. Does it, I don't know, do you, do you feel the difference? If you live in Arizona, are people saying, you know, I can't wait till it cools off, gets back down to 100 degrees again? You know, sweater weather? I don't know. Uh, it's pretty serious. Phoenix hospitals report homeless people being treated for second degree burns after passing out on melting asphalt. Remember the good old days when the only time the road melted was when you took way too much psilocybin? I miss those days. And if everything around you is melting, I'm pretty sure that's no longer a dry heat. It's a different type of humidity. I'm pretty sure liquid steel plays havoc on the humidity down in Arizona. Maricopa, Arizona's medical examiner reports 12 heat-related deaths so far this year, with an additional 40 deaths in Arizona believed to be linked to heat stroke but Carrie Lake is demanding a recount. 100 million Americans as of this hour are currently living under a heat advisory with parts of New York, Michigan and Vermont reporting record temperatures. On the bright side, there's no need to go to Mars. It came to us. We don't need to go to Mars. I love this story. On Monday... Passengers in Las Vegas aboard Flight 555, a Delta Airlines jet heading for Atlanta. They were all trapped on the tarmac for three hours in Las Vegas with no air conditioning as temperatures hit 114 degrees. No air conditioning. Passengers were throwing up and worse, defiling their pants they were passing out, and at least one flight attendant had to be wheeled out on a stretcher. But at least you could get a cup of coffee that wasn't lukewarm. And I doubt there were any screaming babies, because I'm pretty sure when cabin temperatures hit 114 degrees Fahrenheit, those screaming babies tend to get awfully quiet. So there's that. And probably nobody clipping their toenails or prattling on and on about last night's housewives. Now, hundred was it, 114 degrees Fahrenheit, no air conditioning, three hours. Can you imagine being trapped on the tarmac in a plane, leaving Las Vegas, leaving Las Vegas? There's nothing more repulsive than the people leaving Las Vegas. Heading to Vegas, that's different, right? The passengers are excited, they're optimistic, they're clean, they've showered, no venereal diseases. They still own their car and have a savings account for their children's college education. But the flight out of Las Vegas, you're basically looking at chlamydia in a tube top and hot pants. That's all that's on board the flight out of Vegas. Just chlamydia in hot pants. 
under normal conditions, the flight out of Las Vegas, and I've been on these many a time, the flights out of Las Vegas reek of bong water and Axe body spray. But this flight, three hours trapped inside what is essentially an aluminum portisan with no air conditioning and 114 degrees heat. I imagine the only thing worse than that would be sharing an Uber ride with a hypoglycemic Fran Drescher. I think the only thing worse than being stuck on the tarmac in 114 degrees heat for three hours with no air conditioning is being stuck in an Uber ride with a hypoglycemic Fran Drescher, the great Fran Drescher, our, our generation's Samuel Gompers fighting for the working folk when she's not off in Venice as a brand ambassador for Dolce Gabbana taking selfies with Kim Kardashian. Yeah, last week she was in Italy as Dolce Gabbana's brand ambassador taking selfies with Kim Kardashian, who reportedly is a scab, has reportedly been taking acting jobs, even though there's a strike. I don't know. You know, I, I'm sure Fran, Fran Drescher's the president of SAG-AFTRA. And I, I, I'm sure her heart's in the right place. And I, 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 I assume she knows what she's doing, but I don't know. Is it asking too much for the actors union to be run by someone who isn't a multimillionaire? Is that, I mean, is that asking too much to have a union that's not run by millionaires? 12.7% of the actors who belong to SAG-AFTRA qualify for health insurance. Only 12.7% of the actors who belong to SAG-AFTRA qualify for health insurance. Maybe, I don't know, you know, maybe a brand ambassador for Dolce Gabbana I don't know. Maybe a brand ambassador for Dolce Gabbana doesn't quite have their finger on the pulse of the ordinary worker. But, you know, you know what we're going to hear eventually? This is how this strike ends, because these unions are run by millionaires. The unions are run by millionaires. This is what we're going to hear. And I support the unions. You, If you listen to Monday's show, you know that I support. I was very uh, malicious towards the studio chiefs. I support these unions. I just wish they weren't run by millionaires because I know eventually there's going to be a settlement. And we're going to hear the millionaires who run the union say to the rank and file, you know, under the circumstances, this was the best deal we could get. And I'm proud of it. See, that's what you get from any union leader who earns three, 10, 100 times the, what the rank and file does. This is the problem with the AFL-CIO. This is, this is the, they, the, the heads of these unions make way too much. And they end up saying, because they identify with management. So they say things, you know, well, you know, we did our best. I'm, and I'm proud of the deal. Management, I got to say, management really stepped up and they came to the bargaining table and we did our best and they did their best. And uh, this is the best contract we could arrive at. So please vote for it. So 12% of us can get back to work and the rest of you can starve 
and don't get sick because you don't have health care. Now, I'm the bad guy for saying this, right? For for uh, questioning Fran Drescher for being a multi multimillionaire. I'm the bad guy for insisting that unions be run by the middle class, right? Well, all we hear is, you know, the unions built the middle class. Well, why can't the middle class run those unions? But I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy who thinks it's problematic to depend on multimillionaires to save us. Why are you so cynical, David? Don't you believe in noblesse oblige? Don't you believe the only ones who can save us are the rich? I don't know. I was raised differently. My parents taught me that the only thing that's going to save the middle class is taking rich people's money away from them. That's how I was raised. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? Isn't there supposed to be a natural dialectic where there are rich people and there are poor people and poor people are supposed to hate rich people because rich people hate poor people? Isn't that the dynamic? Isn't that the way it works in most countries? Isn't that the natural order of things? A struggle between the weak and the powerful? Why would you think the powerful would ever protect the weak? Why would you ask a multimillionaire to represent union workers? Why? Because we've all been brainwashed. We've all been brainwashed to trust someone, a multimillionaire, who's on the inside. They're going to protect the people on the outside. That's always the, the, the first thing people on the inside want to do is protect the people on the outside. Right. That's what we're brainwashed to believe. Trust me, I went to Harvard Law. I, I have money. Let me run your union. Let me run your your Democratic Party, because I know where the bodies are buried. I speak the language of the ruling class so I can get you a good deal. How about instead you go F yourself, take your Harvard degree and shove it where the sun don't uh, uh, shine. Let, let me shove it where the sun don't shine. And I'm not talking about Seattle. Look, I don't think it's asking too much for a dialectic. I don't think it's asking too much for a fair fight. That's all. I have no problem with rich people just so long as I can steal their money. That's it. Or at least try to steal their money and, and redistribute, redistribute it. That's a fair fight. That's the dynamic that goes on in France. Even England, they still have that dynamic. That's what goes on in Germany. There's the rich and the poor, and we fight each other, right? Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. That doesn't go on in America. You know, it's like in America, it's like there are, there, there are two teams in baseball, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, you know, in sports, right, there are two teams. There's the rich and the poor. Fight it out. You win some, you lose some. Let's have a fair fight. Level the playing field. Fight it out. It is not a fair fight when multimillionaires run our unions and our political parties. It would be like watching the Yankees playing the Phillies 
only to discover that some of the Phillies are secretly Yankees and are throwing the game to screw the Phillies. That's what having a multimillionaire union leader is like. It's like we're the Phillies and we have some Yankees who uh, are high up. We have like a, Yan- a, a manager who's secret and a coach who is secretly a Yankee. And, you know, we're going to they're going to help us get some numbers. We're going to score some runs. We're just not going to win. That's what that's what you end up with when and I'm sure Fran Drescher and who's ever running the Writers Guild and whoever ran that uh, union that tried to organize Amazon in Alabama, that multimillionaire from Harvard, that failure. I'm sure they're nice people and they mean well. But if you're a millionaire, if you're Harvard educated, that automatically disqualifies you from representing the middle class, from having a say in the direction the Democratic Party should be headed. Just give me a fair fight. That's all I want. The Democratic Party should not be run by millionaires. Unions should not be run by millionaires. I'm sure Fran Drescher is a good person, but she's a millionaire and 12 percent, only 12 percent of the 120,000 actors in SAG-AFTRA have health care. I want somebody who speaks for the the 80 percent, the 85 percent, 88, I can't do the math, who don't have health care. Why would you? Why would you trust a millionaire to get you a good union deal or to run your Democratic Party? Let me let me ask you a serious question. And again, I'm not talking about storming uh, people's houses in Beverly Hills yet. Uh, No, I'm, I'm just saying, give me a fair fight Uh, like they have in Germany, France, Portugal, Spain, even England, Great Britain. Give me a fair fight where it's the rich against the poor, where the poor are, or at least the middle class are represented by people who are happy to be middle class, who don't identify with their oppressors. Now, I know my listeners are reasonable people. Would you hire a millionaire to work for you? Think about this for a second. Would you hire Fran Drescher to work for you? Would you hire a Harvard Law School graduate to work for you? Let's say you run a cafe or a deli or a printing shop. Would you hire Fran Drescher? Would you hire Ro Khanna? Would you hire Chuck Schumer or his idiot kids? Would you hire the child of a millionaire? You would not. If it came out of your pocket, you're running a deli, you would not hire a millionaire to work for you. And you wouldn't hire their idiot kids, these effete products of elite private schools. If this podcast ever got successful and I could actually hire people, the first question I would ask is, Public school or private school? Because if you went to private school, I don't want you here. Are your parents rich? Are you rich? Because if they are, not hiring you. You know why? Because you're no good. You're no good. Go be rich, but not here. 
on my podcast, not here in my deli. I've got work to do. This I'm right about. Now, the stuff about Jack Smith and who he's going to, that I don't know what I'm talking about. But I know that Fran Drescher, sweet woman, heart's in the right place. She's a brand ambassador for Dolce Gabbana. She should not be running a union. Ro Khanna, Congressman Ro Khanna, Democrat, worth hundreds of million dollars. Get him out of the Democratic Party. That I'm right about. You cannot argue with me about this. I just want a fair fight. I just want a, a, a middle class that is represented by the middle class, not this noblesse oblige bullshit where we think rich people have the golden ticket for us. They don't. They're rich because they screw people like us. Where was I? Oh, climate change. Uh climate. Was I talking about climate change? You know why climate change is getting worse? Because we're asking the fossil fuel companies to help solve it. It's like asking Fran Drescher and Ro Khanna to help the poor. We're asking millionaires to help the poor. Uh, you know, the fossil fuel companies, that's even the Democrats are saying we, we need to bring the fossil fuel companies in to help solve climate change. You know how the, uh, Fossil fuel companies help solve, uh, you know how they reduce carbon emissions? By burning more fossil fuels. That's, that's the help that we've gotten, right? All Obama, Bush, Trump, Biden. We, got, you know, we can't be enemies with the fossil fuel companies. We've got to work with them to solve climate change. And the, the fossil fuel companies say, yeah, we're, you know, we're transitioning to natural gas because it's natural, it's gas that's natural, you know. Well, so is gasoline and coal. It's all natural. Uh, in fact, natural gas isn't cleaner. It's actually dirtier. It produces more methane than coal, and methane never leaves the atmosphere. It just stays there, trapping the heat. But that's what we do here in America. If there's a problem, we ask the people who are the cause of the problem to solve it. Gun violence, oh, we need to work with gun manufacturers and the NRA to come up with reasonable legislation. The rising cost of prescription drugs, let's, let's call in the leaders of the big pharmaceutical companies and see what their ideas are. That's what Obama did with Obamacare. He ran it by the pharmaceutical companies. He said, can I get your permission on this? And they, oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. As long, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Healthcare costs are out of control. Hey, we're all on the same team. Let's bring in the health care, the health insurance companies and have them drop a plan to solve this. That's how it works here in America. Inside trading on Wall Street. Let's put Wall Street in charge. They know how to put an end to it. This is how it works in America. Mr. Rapist. Hi, you're a rapist. You're Harvey Weinstein. Can you help us solve the rape problem here in America? What, what are your what are your solutions, Harvey Weinstein, to solve rape? I see. So you're saying the fluoride in our drinking water should be replaced by roofies. That's interesting. And women should be forced to walk around completely naked and the police should never arrest anyone for sexual assault. Thank you, Harvey Weinstein, for your input on how to uh, solve the rape problem here in America. Climate change. I'm going along. I apologize. Uh, I've been sick 
and ang I didn't realize how angry I was till I started feeling better. Nature Medicine uh, is a respected scientific journal, and it released a study of the impact last year's heat had on Europe. Tracking data from 35 European countries, Nature Medicine reports that in southern Europe, countries like Italy, Spain, and Portugal were hardest hit with people over the age of 80 most likely to die from the heat. Brace yourself for this number, okay? According to the study, at least 61,000 Europeans died last year from excessive heat. Meanwhile, Europe's summer this year is turning out to be the hottest on record and probably the deadliest, especially for Italy, Greece, and Spain. The New York Times reports that Southern Europe, more than any other spot on the globe, seems to be bearing much of the brunt of climate change. Uh, the heat is worse in Europe than it is anywhere else on the planet. Heat waves in Europe are reportedly more frequent and more intense in Europe than they are anyplace else, with temperatures expected to hit 118 degrees. The Italian government this week is advising residents to stay indoors between the hours of 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Meanwhile, the Houston Chronicle reports that Texas Border Patrol officers working for Governor Greg Abbott were ordered to throw migrant children into the Rio Grande and with triple-digit heat, they were ordered to refuse their requests for water. This is the Houston Chronicle reporting this. Pregnant migrants are also reportedly being thrown into the water, getting tangled in the barbed wire that Governor Greg Abbott has put out in the Rio Grande to make their crawl into America incredibly bloody and next to impossible. This is America. This is Texas. This is America. According to emails reviewed by the Houston Chronicle, Texas border troopers have been ordered to throw children and nursing mothers into the water, ordering... They've been ordered to order them to go back to Mexico and, like I said, deny their requests for water. One Texas trooper complained to his superiors in an email. He wrote, quote, I believe we have stepped over a line into the inhumane. You think? Listeners to this show might remember last month when we reported that Texas Governor Greg Abbott and I wish I were making this up. Greg Abbott signed into law a bill that prevents cities from issuing local ordinances that mandate water breaks for construction workers. Think about this for a second. The Republican governor of Texas signed into law a bill that forbids cities from mandating 10-minute water breaks for construction workers every four hours. Triple-digit temperatures in Texas, but the construction industry in Texas convinced the Texas governor, the Texas Republicans, that forcing workers to take 10-minute breaks every four hours for water and some time in the shade, that's government overreach. So where does it end? You know, you think it stops with this, right? For the past 20 years... I, I kept hearing 
uh, my friends say, well, things just have to get so bad people will rise up. They don't. Things just get worse. Look at that Delta flight that I talked about earlier, the Delta flight where the passenger sat on the tarmac in triple digit heat, no air conditioning, flight attendants being wheeled out on stretchers, passengers soiling their pants, vomiting, three hours, nobody prosecuted for this. A terse apology from Delta. The passengers, I think, were given maybe a free flight. What about treating them for PTSD? What about the passengers rising and storming the exits on the tarmac to get the hell out of there? What about demanding that Delta Airlines treat us like humans and not cattle? No. Can't interfere with business. So it just gets worse. And as it gets worse, we don't rise up. We accept it. Because things in motion stay in motion. That's what Newton taught us. Things in motion stay in motion. If things are going to... Are, are getting worse, they will continue to get worse. Things will keep getting worse until the greed, this is what it's all about, greed, until this greed is acted upon by an unbalanced force. Those are the immutable laws of nature. The Republicans, Wall Street, the greedy 1%, will keep pushing the line of decency and they will keep pushing it until they are met by an unbalanced force. And that unbalanced force, you and me, that unbalanced force isn't millionaires. It's not Fran Drescher or Chuck Schumer or Ro Khanna or Nancy Pelosi saving us. That unbalanced force that stops the line of decency from moving further and further away from us, that unbalanced force is the 99%. It's the 99% of us who say, you know what? I don't need to be rich. I just need a livable wage, free health care, free college tuition, clean air, clean water, free child care. Roads, bridges that are sturdy and parks and forests that are safe where I can camp. I don't need a vacation home. I just need the commons to share with my fellow 99%. What we need is a 99% that doesn't identify with our oppressors. We need a 99% that says, I don't want more than I need. It's bad for me. It's bad for my kids. It's bad for the planet. All you need is peace and quiet, food, water, friends, leisure time, and a purpose, some kind of job or hobby that gives your life purpose. And we would be fine. We know that. 99% of us know that, and that is the unbalanced force that will stop the rich and the powerful from rolling over us. We are the 99%. Remember that? 
Remember Occupy? We are the 99% and we outnumber our oppressors. All we must do is despise the 1%. Is that asking too much? They despise us. They're denying water breaks to construction workers in triple-digit heat. They hate us. Why can't we hate them back? I just want a fair fight. You have to start distrusting the 1%. All you have to do is vote and demand that the 1% pay their taxes and that our government works for us, not the rich and the powerful. And the way you get that is you purge the Democrats of people like Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Ro Khanna, and any other asshole who's worth tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Go be a Republican. Get the F out of my party. You've got to reject the values foisted upon us by the rich. Don't buy into their bullshit and don't buy their stuff. Whatever they're selling, save your money. Don't buy it. Stay away from fast food, soft drinks, snacks. Take mass transportation, not airplanes. Take the train, take buses when you can, walk, join a library. Reject all of it because all of it is destroying our souls, our country, and our planet. Turn off your streaming services. Stop feeding the 1%. Don't give money to the 1%. Before you spend your money, stop. Think. Where's this dollar going to? Do you want to give your money to, to Starbucks for a non-union burnt coffee? Boycott all of it. Spend your money wisely. Reject whatever the rich are selling. And don't hire the children of the rich. If I pro Here's a promise that I'm, if I ever have enough money to start hiring people for this show, anybody who went to private school or is the child of a rich person who just wants to learn the business, go F yourself. Go F yourself. Don't hire the children of the rich. Somebody went to Harvard. Somebody went to an elite private school. Do not hire them. They will screw you. They're lazy. Don't hire the children of the rich. Finally. Okay. Thank you for all your kind words. In case any of you are not up to speed on my urological mayhem, I was recently sidelined by a kidney stone, and uh, here he is. That's the kidney stone. The most pain I've ever experienced in my life. And while most of you have written to me expressing solidarity, a few have written to me saying, kidney stones? Are you kidding me? That's nothing. Try birthing a baby. To which I reply, how dare you? First off, uh, insensitive much? I can't give birth. Uh, 
I don't want to go into specifics, uh, but doctors tell me I have a hostile womb. And uh, more importantly, I get it. Childbirth is more painful than kidney stones. I get that. The, the physical pain is worse than passing a kidney stone. But at least with childbirth, there's a reward at the other end. People sing your praises for bringing life into this world. And your body creates oxytocin, which produces a permanent euphoria. There's no oxytocin that the body produces when you're trying to pass a kidney stone. It's just pain. Uh, you give birth to a baby, you're left with a sense of immortality. But when I passed my kidney stone, it was just pain, followed by endless condescension and contempt from the nurses, all because I insisted on swaddling little Yuri in a blanket and breastfeeding him until they ripped Yuri from my arms and placed me in a 48-hour psychiatric hold. That's Yuri. That's, you're looking at Yuri. Uh, I felt a paternal, a maternal connection to Yuri, who grew inside of me, and uh, he was ripped from my arms. So, yeah, maybe kidney stones aren't as physically painful as childbirth, but the emotional pain, the postpartum psychosis of not knowing what happened to my Yuri, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So I really resent the people who said, try childbirth before you complain about the pain of kidney stones. This is my Yuri. I took a picture of him right after I brought him into this world. His name is Yuri. He's named after my great-grandfather's ulcer. My grandfather had an ulcer named Yuri. It's a uh, Feldman tradition to name the oldest kidney stone after your paternal grandfather's ulcer. This is uh, the only known photograph of my grandfather's ulcer, Yuri. It was taken in the early 1950s while Yuri was attending band camp. That's my uh, Marvin. Uh, I'm sorry, Marvin? That's mislabeled. His name was Yuri. Unless my... Maybe my grandfather had a bastard ulcer named Marvin that we never knew about. That would explain a lot. I thought this was Yuri, but it says Marvin in 1954. I got I to gotta do uh, some research. There, there may be, I, might, I may have a larger family than I knew about. I'm David Feldman on pain medication, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. 